You're listening to the weekly message at Mosaic Church. For more information or to talk about your own life in Christ, email info at mosaicchurchevans.org. If you'd like to support our ministry, visit our website at mosaicchurchevans.org. Thanks for listening. And now, this week's message. chapter is actually headed, Joy of the Redeemed. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So strengthen your feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf deaf unstopped. And then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on their way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found there, but only the redeemed will walk there. Only the redeemed. Those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Biblical joy is not rooted in our circumstances, but in our proximity to a joy-inducing God. So I want to call this message, Joy in the Wilderness. Um, and you, joy can show up in even the most difficult circumstances. That's Paul's point in his letter to the Philippian church. He's writing them in jail, um, and from that place he wants them to hear that his hunger uh, is being stirred up, his hunger for joy is being stirred up by his bad circumstances. It's a hunger for the unbridled joy of heaven. So look with me at Philippians chapter 1. We're going to start with verse 12. Philippians 1, verse 12. So Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. I want you to underline what has happened to me. But we're going to talk about that in a minute. But that's not just the fact that he's in jail right now. This is the whole of his experience. What has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So it's become clear to people inside the jail. It's become clear to people outside the jail. It says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. 
So Paul says um, he wants the Philippians to hear that redemption is reason for rejoicing. He says what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. It's become clear to everybody here that I'm in chains because of Christ. And the brothers and sisters who are not in prison are becoming more confident because of my witness. So I can't lose. And then Paul says, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He's not just talking about his arrest. He's talking about his story. This, this is the, the, the Paul who held the coats of the people who stoned Stephen to death. And Paul who encountered the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And Paul who was struck blind for a few days while he kind of figured out what's he going to do with this Jesus. And Paul, who then became an evangelist for the gospel, and Paul, who is now, because of that gospel, in chains, he said, for all that has happened to me, I can say without question that God has redeemed every drop of it. God has collected every crumb of my life, Paul can say, and every detail of my story, and has used it to advance the gospel. And that redemption is reason for rejoicing. It's why we always say there's no shame in Christ, and once you're redeemed, your, your story is your, is your witness. So what has God done in your life? If you're pretty discouraged today, I encourage you to take some time with that question. What has God done in my life that I might have conveniently forgotten because I felt a need to whine? <laughs> Side note, whining is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> Paul wasn't trying to sugarcoat anything or pass it off as a fake smile um, for the gospel. What he wants us to hear is that our past can actually serve as our hope because Listen, if God has shown up before, God will show up again. I was talking with somebody just last week who is in such a rough place. And you know, the hardest conversations for a pastor are the ones where somebody's in a really rough place and you got no answers. You can't fix it. If you, if, if you try to give cheap answers, it just dumbs down the gospel. Those are hard conversations. No wonder we've invented such unbiblical responses to other people's pain. We, don't, we can't fix it. We don't know what to say. So we say things like, you know, if God's brought you to it, he'll bring you through it. Which, sure, God may bring you through it, but that doesn't mean he brought you to it in the first place. Let me give an amen for some people who have done some jail time. God didn't bring you to that jail time. He might have brought you through it, but he didn't necessarily bring you to it. God doesn't need to be blamed for every bad thing that's gone on in our lives. How about this one? Everything happens for a reason. That's Chris and my personal favorite. Everything does happen for a reason, but you know what? Some reasons stink. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Humanity has invented these cheap responses to pain because we cannot imagine the possibility that God is not as afraid of our pain as we are. But friends, God is, not as as, God is not as afraid of your pain as you are. So it's not something you have to paste over with a cheap, cliche band-aid. It's almost like we're trying to protect ourselves from God or protect God from us. But what if God isn't afraid of our pain because God knows that even exile can be redeemed and redemption is reason for rejoicing. 
So sitting in jail, Paul could see God's redemptive power. He knew his own story and how God had worked already, could remember all God had brought him through, could take note of how God had redeemed the pain. So Paul could say that in his pain, God is faithful. You should write that down. In my pain, God is faithful. And so I can trust that what God has done, God will do. If God has brought me through before, God will bring me through now. It's a great biblical principle. God tends to deal with us the way he has dealt with us. That's worth writing down too. God tends to deal with us the way he has dealt with us. This took a while for me to learn just in a ministry context because, you know, I go to these um, workshops and seminars and, and everybody tells you, you do these three things and your, your ministry will explode. And I've got enough ego and arrogance in me that I want to see my stuff explode, but my stuff has never exploded because you know why? God works with me in a slow and steady way. I, I'm the person who has a long obedience in the same direction. And so when a person who has the gift of a long obedience in the same direction starts looking for fireworks to show up, that's a formula for frustration. And maybe you are looking for something to happen in your life that just simply isn't the way God deals with you. God tends to deal with us the way he has dealt with us. So if God has been there before, God will be there again. How has God dealt with you when you've been in the midst of hard things in the past? How has he dealt with you? I want you to say this together with me. If God has been there before, he will be there again. Say that together. If God has been there before, he will be there again. Why? Because God is faithful. You know, years from now, when we all talk about 2020, there's going to be a lot of head shaking going on. But I hope that in the years to come, as significant and as heavy as this year has been for all of us, I hope the heaviness will be overshadowed in our memories by the great moves of God that we will all have experienced. And the renewal of the church that could not have happened without that pressure that is pressing us forward. I hope you will be able to say when someone asks you what you were doing in 2020 that mostly you just remember that year as a tipping point of great of a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because listen, our God redeems everything. Which means that the beautiful potential of this season that is that it could launch any of us into our most fruitful years. Do you believe it? could sit in prison and say, verse 12, what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. He could rejoice because the redemption he had already experienced was proof enough to him that nothing is wasted in the kingdom of God. So let me say it this way. You need to focus not on pain avoidance, but on redemption. When you focus on redemption, you will touch the glory of God. Roger Olson says, redemptionless Christianity is an oxymoron, which means there's no such thing as redemptionless Christianity. 
Redemption is the fabric of Christianity. Redemption is being woven into everything. God is constantly redeeming. God is constantly at work restoring this world to himself. So the fact that our faith depends on is only valid if militantly clings to a doctrine of redemption should be great news for rejoicing. Look at verse 15. Paul says, It is true, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But it just doesn't matter. I just love that. He's like, keep your eyes on me, people. Keep your eyes on me. That part doesn't matter. The important thing that is, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers, I want you to underline this equation, through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, not God's fixing everything for me, but just providing me with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. You know, this paragraph is cancel culture waiting to happen. But Paul chooses not to go there. There are folks who are preaching with impure motives, but Paul spins all of it toward joy. He says, I'm not going to take on the spirit of offense here. You know what? I'm going to rejoice because, which I just love. I will rejoice because. How will you finish that line today in your life? I will rejoice because. Paul says, verse, verse 18, I will continue to rejoice because I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ, I will be delivered. And he says it like it's a fact, like one plus one equals two. Your prayers plus God's provision equals my deliverance. That is kingdom math. It's a fact we can depend on. I can go ahead now, even while I'm in joy, and rejoice because People are praying for me. I can rejoice because God tends to act the way he has acted in my life. And God has provided for me before. God will provide for me again. I will rejoice because I have the spirit of Jesus in this jail cell with me. So I'm not in chains. Even if I'm in chains, I'm already delivered. Rejoice because is a decision to choose an attitude rooted in obedience. I want you to hear me just for a minute. Go with me on this for a minute. Obedience, in the, in the Hebrew word for obedience means to hear. But the Greek word takes it a little bit further. The Greek word for obedience means to hear and listen in submission. <laughs> That's a big difference. Because if you're a parent, you get the difference between hearing and listening. You've had children hear you, but not listen to you. But then there's this other, this other, in the Greek version, there's this other definition I really like. It is to pay attention. 
I like that idea of obedience as paying attention to where God is at work so we can join Him. Are you beginning to get it that, that finding joy depends on learning how God works? So yesterday, we had a leadership retreat, a, a vision team retreat, brought in our new class of, of vision team people. And Mike Barr made a statement at, at that vision team meeting. He said that he told the team to give heartfelt attention to heaven. That's a powerful line to me. That's a great charge over a vision team, isn't it? I want you to give heartfelt attention to heaven. It's a powerful word for a room full of leaders in a Christian movement. Give heartfelt attention to heaven. So I want you to picture this scene from the story of the Israelites. It's in the book of Nehemiah. He gives us this scene. Just picture it. Thousands of Israelites are standing. They've just finished. They've just they finished restoring the temple, which was a totally a, a wreck. They, they they restored the walls around the city that were all crumbled, and now they're standing at one gate. It's all been done, and now they're standing at this one gate. It's called the Water Gate. Isn't that fantastic? I can't make that stuff up. Um, and and they're and they're. And they're standing there. They've all been called together after all this work has been done. And Ezra, the priest, is going to read to them from the book of the law. And they stand there for hours listening as the book of the law is read over them. They've restored the temple. They've restored the wall. Now they're restoring their spirits as the book of the law is read over them. And Levites walk through the crowds explaining the more complicated points to the people. And as, and what's happening as the law is read over them is sort of like a gut punch. It begins to dawn on the people that they have missed the heart of God. They have been looking at life through exile-covered glasses, you know, constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop, constantly waiting for God to zap them, and, and, and they've missed, they've totally missed how God works, and now the word is being read over them, and they're being exposed as unfaithful people in the presence of a faithful God, and it crushes them, and they start to weep. Thousands of people start to weep, and Nehemiah steps up, and he tells them, no, no, you've got to stop weeping right now. Stop crying. I want you to go home. And I want you to eat a good meal. And I want you to hear me. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Remember what God has done for us. Don't you die in the shallow end, he tells them. Remember what God has done for us. He how God has worked, God will work. He is our Redeemer. And the story says they went away and they did what Nehemiah said and they experienced this great joy. And they remembered how God works and how He has redeemed them. And they recognized that this Redeemer God is with them and He is faithful even now. William Barclay says, listen to this, endurance is not just the ability to hear, to, to bear a hard thing, but to turn it into glory. Do you hear that? 
I mean, that's the second, that's the second mile that all of us who follow Jesus are called to go. We're not just supposed to be enduring this hard thing, but to turn it into glory. And there is Paul sitting in prison. Just about every other word is rejoicing. And even from prison, Paul can rejoice because he has kingdom vision. He has chosen obedience, which is to say he has given heartfelt attention to heaven. Listening for where God is at work so we can join him. Your prayers, God's provision, I'm as good as delivered. Look at verse 20. It says, I eagerly expect, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die, well, that's even better because then I get the unhindered joy of Jesus. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and for your joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Do you hear it? Now Paul is equating present joy with future glory. He says he's going to continue to rejoice. And then he begins to think about whether he would like to live or die because from Paul's perspective, he's in a win-win situation if he if he dies, his joy is complete. If he lives, he gets the pleasure of seeing others' joy cultivated because of his witness. Either way, he wins. But you can hear the hunger in him, can't you? This is a man who gets it, that joy is a foretaste of glory. You should write that down. Present tense joy is a foretaste of future tense glory. So this hunger we have right now, like I just want to find something funny on Netflix. <laughs> I'm looking for something to just release the pressure. I'm not saying that Netflix is wrong necessarily. But man, sometimes that pressure release can be really devastating. We've had a series this year of celebrity pastors who have imploded. The most recent one a couple of weeks ago who have imploded. The pressure has caused them to sort of shoot out sideways with moral failures. Because they, they, they've misdirected this hunger for the joy that is set before us. Friends, rather than trying to release the pressure in some unholy way, what if you and I go after the kingdom of God? What if we go after the joy that is set before us? You know, 
Someone has said it's only the fullness, only in the fullness of the presence of God that joy is full. And all those exile stories, all those Old Testament stories basically paint that same picture. We heard it in the Bible Project video. The joy of God's people is not determined by their struggles, but by their future destiny. So the Israelites could begin to sing and dance on the other side of the Red Sea years before they would reach the promised land. Years of desert still in front of them. They could rejoice because their joy was determined not by the desert in front of them, but by the promises on the other side. They knew God is faithful. This has been the witness of our faith ever since. There is joy in the journey, and yet what we have now is only a taste of the good things to come writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 12, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses to the faithfulness of God, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race that has been set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the Father. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not go weary, uh, grow weary and lose heart. So much of what we believe depends on the fact of Jesus who endured the cross, sitting at the right hand of God the Father right now in heaven on our behalf. The communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting, everything we profess depends on our having a risen, living Savior who was not just there for us 2,000 years ago, but who is here for us now, sitting at the right hand of the Father as our great high priest, perfecting our joy by holding our redemption securely in place. Think about that. Right now, the Lord Jesus Christ is holding your redemption in place. Our redemption is reason to rejoice. Hebrews 9.11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then, listen to this, through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all time into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing for all of us an eternal redemption. So the Bible tells us that Christ is very much alive and in heaven right now at the throne of God, holding our place and our joy. That's why Nehemiah could say God's joy is our strength and the Holy Spirit is his deposit into our lives, his assurance that we who believe and obey will be part of the good things to come. 
Redemption is reason for rejoicing. The bottom line is this. We need to let this season make us hungry for heaven. Now, I'm thinking about the first line of Ezekiel's prophecy. One of the best first lines ever. It's one more time when the people of Israel are in, they are in exile. And Ezekiel begins his story of sitting with them in exile with these words. While I was among the exiles, I saw visions of God. That's a great opening line, isn't it? You have the whole spectrum in that one line. It takes us from exile in an alien land to the glory of heaven in just a handful of words. And I would say that Paul's point in his letter to the Philippians is exactly this. Listen, that the best place to catch a vision for the joy-filled life is while you're sitting in the one you hate. So easy to get discouraged when you're sitting in exile. When you're dealing with a global health crisis or a personal moral crisis or a legal crisis or relationship crisis or a crisis of faith, it is so easy to be discouraged. But I'm telling you that in those moments when you are in the pit, you are being primed for visions of glory. Don't waste it on Netflix. You know that hunger you have right now? for somebody to make you laugh with some pain relief. Which for some of us shows up as real triggers. Something to release the pressure. I want to say to you, I want to reframe that for you and tell you that that thing you have, that trigger, that desire for escape, that's just God inviting you inviting you into glory. He's inviting you to grab hold of the joy of Jesus. To hear and listen and submit and pay attention, heartfelt attention to heaven which is breaking out all around us. How he's not left us. How he has worked is how he will work. He's faithful Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.